0: This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro.
1: Welcome everybody to the Coach Brew Podcast. A very special episode today because, well, I don't do a lot of interviews. Why don't I do a lot of interviews? Because most people aren't great interviewees, aren't that interesting, don't know how to tell a story. And uh, just use a lot of business jargon, same old same old jargon everybody else seems to use, but today I am joined by an outstanding couple, uh, a family business uh, two just fascinating people um, JW and Jody Brooks and they are in uh, well this is an international interview because I'm in Portland maine and They're in another country down in Texas. And (laughs) J.B. and Jody, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you.
1: Hey, uh, it is a pleasure to have you join me. Thanks for making time. I feel like um, I should be the offspring of the two of you. I know that sounds totally weird and awkward because we just met. But what I mean by that is if you put the two of you together, your interests, Combined are my interests. Jody, you're a very competitive horseback rider. I uh, love horseback riding. Um, Your business owner, JW, is a master craftsman, um, an artist, and a musician. We'll get into that shortly. And you take all those things and put them together, and that's kind of me minus all of that talent. (laughs)
2: <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> so, um, yeah.
1: I just find you guys fascinating um and just want to talk to you a little bit about your journey uh and kind of how you ended up where you are doing what you are and for all of our listeners, um Jody and J. W. Brooks are the owners of the j w. Brooks custom hat company um making what i would i would call the rolls royce of cowboy hats thank you there is uh, no comparison there is, is like whatever is second place is a distant second in terms of quality craftsmanship and um fashionability um And that isn't even an exaggeration by any stretch, because I will say this. uh, Having just been down in Texas, JW, um, I was at a hat shop. I don't know if Jody told you this. I told Jody this. And I was at a hat shop, and I asked about your hats. And one of the hat shapers, who I wasn't even talking to, immediately spun his head around And he's like, you know those guys? Oh, my God, they have the best sweatbands ever. It's like the most comfortable hat. So when you are getting compliments from an industry peer, that's when you know you got something. right? Well, thank you. I appreciate
0: that. Yes, thank you. Well, it's always good to hear that. You you don't always hear the good from people, but um, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So uh, love to just kind of hear your backstories and we'll start with Jody. Uh, I started horseback riding at an early age and uh, I get the feeling you did the same thing. And I'm always curious, you know, when people perform at a high level and enjoy what they do, I'm always curious how they got started and where that competitive DNA was formed at an early age. So Jody, could you tell us a little bit about um, how you got started riding and, and just kind of early experience?
2: Sure. Um, I um, grew up riding horses. I got a photograph of me. I was probably nine, 10 months old. My grandfather told me on a pony that he bought for me. And I think it started there. And my dad um, trained and rode horses in North Carolina and and so we always had horses on our, at our house, and um, I was telling you earlier that, you know, we, there were three of us girls, and so we always fought over, you know, we didn't have the money for all three of us to have one, so we always fought over who was going to get in a ride, sure. the horse that day, or, you know, for whatever time period, and, um, you know, and and we all showed, my dad showed, and horses and then we grew up you know obviously going to the horse show with him and then and then they had this little class called Tops to ride and um that that me and my sister um would show in at the same time and so I think a lot of the competitiveness was just coming from competing with my own sister you know who could have the best ride or who could win the most ribbons you know or whatever so
1: sibling rivalry is a powerful thing
2: <laughs> you just said a mouthful right there. So I think that's where the competitiveness, I like my nature, the competitive nature, came from. But as far as just you know having a love for the animal, I, I've always just I and you know I'm an animal person anyway. I I tend to really. You know, it doesn't really matter what kind of animal it is. I'm I'm gonna love it. And so that's why we have all this little funny farm we've got going on here at <laughs> the hat swap is, as well. But um, but no, the animal just having a bond and relationship with an with a with a horse is so special and um and brings me a lot of peace and joy and and I can't imagine my life without it.
1: That's uh, the number one reason why I got back into riding as an adult. We got our kids into it when they were young and um, reminded me how much I missed it. You know, I stopped riding in high school when I started playing varsity sports and, you know, wish I never would have stopped looking back. Um, At what point did you know, like, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to go compete at, at like the regional national level, like, At what point did you know this is for me and, you know, I'm going to kind of build my life around it?
2: You know, I, um, looking back, you know, I kind of did the same thing you did. I showed horses when I was younger and was pretty successful in that class, that little toss ride class. And then I did like the lead line and I, you know, with a, a another friend of mine at a young age, and then um, you know, and then we, we get in high school and college. We just kind of get into other things, <clears throat> and so when I graduated college, and I mean, I still kind of trail rode on the weekends and and did some things like that for fun. But um, when I, I I was a paralegal for 15 years, and I think when I got my own money and started buying my own horses and and looking at you know, what else I could do with them. Um, I'm going to, you know, I I actually went to a rain cow horse show and in South Georgia and, and just fell in love with the sport that weekend and decided that's what I wanted to do. And, um, and that was hard because I'd never, you know, worked cows like that before, you know, we'd rant, we'd round cows up with some friends of ours, but not like that sport, you know, and, and I was just amazed by that. And, I, I fell head over heels in love with that sport. And that's what got me back into showing. So I actually started back showing probably when I was 26 or 27. And, um, and then decided I really liked showing that. And then I liked showing versatility horses. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I started
1: you've always been an incredibly competitive person and this just uh, I imagine really brings it out. And sure. now entrepreneurship is a whole other animal, no pun intended, when it comes <laughs> to competition, you know. Um which brings me to your husband, uh, JW. Uh can you give us a little bit of your origin story and kind of how you, you know, got started? Um Maybe not even necessarily in the industry, but just,
0: uh, uh, you know, well, we grew up, our family grew up around more of the rodeo industry. And, um, so again, we were always around horses and, and always had some growing up as well. And I thought I knew everything about horses and livestock and I was, you know, I knew it all until i met jody and realized i really didn't know anything so she's (laughs) she's pretty modest in the fact that she she is very very talented with horses and um has obviously paid a lot more attention to them than i have and i think that women kind of tend to do that in general uh with horses but um yeah i i I was
1: just gonna say get married and we'll all you know we all realize how little we knew before
2: yeah right <laughs> <yeah>, exactly right <laughs> i
0: thought i knew it you know it, it actually did take a few years of uh of arguing back and forth before i realized she was actually right and i didn't know uh as much as i thought but anyway it's uh it's all worked out for the oh, now, now i got it on
2: video so right now everybody knows it's perfect
0: so. yeah, but if i have a question i i ask jody for sure no but like as far as
2: his singing goes like that's amazing story actually
1: well you yeah you're kind of of like uh jw the way i would describe you is you make the dos guy seem kind of boring
2: exactly oh my gosh you just said it the most
1: interesting man in the world is actually jw brooks you know uh, rodeo industry music um and then obviously uh you know master craftsman uh working with hats creating hats like Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, your musical career, where did that get started? It get started just as a function of you know being around the rodeo industry, having an interest in like what
0: what get you started on that path with music not not really, not till much later i mean i um, I've always loved music and and of course you were raised around i didn't know there was anything besides country music until I was about eighteen years old, so um, that was just, you know, and I I always liked it and enjoyed it and sang and whatever, just as far as around the house and so forth. But I I never thought for a second uh, about having a musical career in anything. Um, and and you know, so I definitely went down that path of being an artist, and and I was doing that right out of high school uh, and during high school actually. Um, where where did you grow, of- so pro- Where'd you grow up? Because I know you're a Texas transplant. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born in in Durango, Colorado, and um, so in Durango is where I spent probably the majority of of, uh, my youth. I mean, we did move around a lot. My dad opened Western Wear stores, so we uh, moved to, you know, we were in Sheridan, Wyoming, and Billings, Montana, and Yuma, Arizona. We did a lot of moving around, but um, I ended up going back. It's like the most beautiful places out west to live. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, No, it was fun. I mean, yeah being a little bit of a hobo that way was definitely fun and meeting people and you know of course the more you have to do that the better you get it adapting and and uh being able to socialize and meet people and so forth so I think that all plays into it a little bit but um but no I was drawing full time doing a lot of commission pieces for people uh in Durango when I was, uh right out of high school and uh Kevin O'Farrell the local the hat maker there was he's gone now he's passed away but he was pretty iconic in the industry uh, as far as custom hat makers go um and he he asked me to come I had actually done a, a drawing for him we traded out he built me a hat and I did a drawing for him and and um we ended up uh, uh he said do you want to come down of shape some hats for me and I said yes and so he never fired me and I never quit and we just kind of just Became friends and I, I worked for him for several years. Um, and then I ended up moving uh, to uh, Scottsdale and went to work for Aztec Hat Company down there. And I worked for them for about three or four years and kind of paying my dues as far as learning. But I don't know that I'd ever really had a path that I was on that I was certain of. Um, I just knew that I enjoyed what I was doing. The, the art was a lot of fun. I was proud of what I did, but it was boring. You know, you spend hours and hours and hours alone, uh, just working away. And, and the hat deal was just funner to me. It was, uh, you know, you're meeting like-minded people and you're, you know, you're creating something that you're proud of and they're happy to have. So that was just, uh, it was just a lot more fun. And that, and that's kind of what took me there. But the, it wasn't until, um, later on, I think I was about 33. Uh, which is way too late to start a music career, in my opinion. But anyway, um, a friend uh, signed me up for a contest. Uh, it was that Nashville Star. I don't know if you remember it, but it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one of my friends
1: hosted uh, Nashville Star for a couple of seasons, Troy Coleman, Cowboy
0: Troy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We made hats for Cowboy Troy. <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah, and um, but we. Uh, Anyway, they signed me up for that, and I, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so stupid. You know, I can't believe it. And anyway, long story <laughs> short, I ended up winning, um, you know, for this, obviously, the the state of Arizona there, that whole area. And then um, when we went to California and got on the TV portion, I, I ended up losing out there, um, which I always – say well I I was on the same year Miranda Lambert was and she also lost so I don't feel too bad about it but um (laughs) no I wouldn't either you're in good company (laughs) right but when I came back to Arizona from from losing out there in uh the house band at Mr. Lucky's which is one of a big club there big country club um bar there in Arizona they asked if I would come sing for them you know be their their lead guy and so I was I was like sure and uh gosh well i mean i i could go on and on and on but bottom line was it was just a hoot and so much fun and kind of like a dream come true um in a way uh although i you know there was times i thought oh this is gonna be my new path in life and um but you know once i hit 40 i was like i don't think anybody wants to watch a 40 year old man sing anymore so <laughs> anyway and it was a lot of late late nights you know we played I played for seven years with those guys and uh, sure. for the first probably three or four years there, we, we were playing five nights a week. And, um, and I'm trying to, you know, grind. Build yeah. yeah, it was, it was super tough. So I was, I was glad to hang it up when I did and glad I got to do it. So, well, you were building houses too. At the same time. Oh yeah. I had a lot of iron. You had a lot going on. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Yeah, and so, I didn't realize that you had started out shaping hats uh, at another uh, hat shaper. Oh and yeah. Did how many how many different places did you work? How many different hat companies did you work, you know, inside of before you decided to take the plunge and go out on your own? And the reason I ask that is I think it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like the lost art of appren- apprenticeship that you just don't see anywhere anymore. Uh, People aren't uh, apprenticing uh, like back in the day in the, you know, in the arts and in the trades. And I'm always just curious, like people's introduction to that. And then how long before you started to get the itch to kind of do your own thing and why?
0: Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because I we don't talk about it outside of our family much, but we've had this same discussion a million times because, um, you're right. I mean, nobody wants to apprentice. Nobody wants to learn. They all want to own the company, start the company and be a winner tomorrow. And, um, and you know, I got, I have people, you know, to this day calling for, you know, wanting a job or whatever, and, and you feel them out and you realize that, um, they don't really want to learn, you know what I mean? They just kind of want
2: to
0: learn. What that's you what you happens know. when you stop keeping score in youth sports and everybody gets a trophy.
2: Exactly.
0: 100%. 100%. Yeah. No, I worked I worked for right. O'Farrell's for probably four years. I went to Arizona, worked for Aztec Hats for probably about four years. And then I went to work. Um, I opened a shop, which was kind of my first, um, you know, dip into the water on – by myself, uh, he you know it was on his his dime, but um, we uh, I got to open up this whole shop inside this Western north store for a guy, so that that helped me tremendously because I was able to uh, make a few mistakes on his dollar and and, um, and and learn you know learn from him too on the business side of it, but um, so that was basically it. After that, I I knew I kind of wanted to to do it on my own, um, so I. I Picked up another night job, uh, I was lumping trailers for yellow freight at night <laughs> and making extra money so I could buy hat equipment and uh absolutely, so, yep, so we did that, and then just started uh started doing it on my own and i I'm, honestly, I can say uh I was obviously very, very scared to do it, step out on my own, but um I've never had a year that we've not increased and bettered ourselves every year uh, you know, financially and numbers with you know, customers and everything, so we've been very fortunate that way.
1: That's phenomenal, and especially when you consider, uh, you know, like you said, stepping out on your own, um, the equipment, the overhead, the pro, like the cost of goods,
0: particularly
1: yes. with like, we're not talking about like straw hats that you get off the rack at Cavenders, folks, like, or, or you know, any other retail, we're talking about like, this is very much. A premium brand, you know, kind of a boutique brand where your hats can be hard to find. And that leads me to my next question. Like, when and why did you decide to be a premium brand and just have that kind of level of exclusivity where you know you're not just gonna find that on the shelf of any old place? And I have to imagine there's some strategy involved there because like and let me let me frame it this way: like everybody talks about being different, but very few brands walk that talk. You really walk that talk by, you know, like doubling down on we are going to be the most premium product in our space. And a it takes courage, b it takes resources, um, and that's not something anyone really I don't think enters lightly into unless they're massively independently wealthy uh going into business but like what what was the strategy behind that
2: i think that between the two of us we'll we we'll, might we might have two separate answers so i'll wow. let jade up <laughs> well I, what I, he think? I,
0: first of all i've never had you want to know my strategy i'll tell you it to you. you might want to get a pen and jot this down it's very <laughs> very important <laughs> i was on the kevin costner if you build it they will come strategy right i mean oh I wow just, I just honestly, and, and I think it was just an artistic mindset. Um, yep. my whole life kind of growing up in the art in world. Um, I thought, you know, if you make something really, really good and you make it really, really nice, people are gonna buy it and they're gonna want it and they're gonna want to spend money, you know? And, and, and I mean, it just, it just, that was my philosophy and, um, and it's terrible, I mean, in a, in, a, in a lot of respects, I mean, maybe good in some, but um, it really wasn't until um, Jody and I got together that that changed, because um, we we work together, but we don't work together, because we would fight probably all the time. Because no. <laughs> well, she's always on the computer and in the house, I'm usually in the shop, and, and it works out really well, because, I mean, my you know, like I said, my, my mindset is I, I want to build a hat for everybody on the planet. And if we can just get away with doing that for free, that would be great. I don't care. You know, what yes, I mean? that's
2: just, really, that's, yeah. that is, yeah,
0: I, I like what I do. It's and very, I, want, I want everybody to have the best. And yeah. I don't really care about the money. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous. But it's, it's not before thought in my mind. And um, so when Jody came into my life, I mean, she was like, well, yeah, I get it. Um, but you you need to make some money. You need to, you know, you, you're gonna need to pay your bills, right? Yeah. So, yeah.
2: so sure.
0: it was a good and fantastic, you know, team effort well, and, and think, all it has been.
2: Yeah, I think I recognized very quickly, um, when we met how talented and J Dub was. You know, no matter what he was doing, he does it well. Like it, if you've seen his artwork, it it can be in Jackson Hole. If you hear him sing, it's it's a it's like he should be on the radio. I mean, it's it's crazy the yep. amount of talent he has, and then he's making these these incredible hats. And I just recognize his talent. I think as an artist, you know, and I don't I don't want to speak for every artist, but I think from an artist mentality, you don't you you don't recognize how good your art is, no matter what that art is. Like it could be pencil art, or it could be making cowboy hats, or you know. Sure. Creating some kind of invention. I mean, all that makes you creative and an artist. And I think sometimes artists have a hard time putting a value on their craft. And so,
1: well, yeah, know, there's the reason that the, the expression is so true: starving artist. You know.
2: Yes, yes. And so, and I think so
1: caught up in the making that they don't really assess the value sometimes.
2: Right, and I can tell you, you know, Jay, it is important to j Dub. I mean, we, as far as like when he said he'd like everybody to have one of his hats, he's not joking about that. Like he would give his hat away. Um, and but I think, you know, obviously when I stepped in, I, I, you know, obviously we can't do that, but you know, um, there is value to it and there's a reason why you want to have from an artist, a Western artist that has been doing this for 30, what, three years now. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and he's not only that an artist, but he's an innovator, too, in this industry. Like, he's constantly thinking up new ways to make a better hat. I mean, you know, they've been making hats the same way for, what, 200 years now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, it, the, the whole process has kind of, you know, been there and, and has been around forever. And But JW is so innovative in stepping up our game. Uh, you know, and then, and then you got to look at part of it became – a necessity you know we got so busy and and started getting so popular that you know we had to step up our game too as far as that goes um i mean there's only one a j-dub so yeah you're getting what you pay for and um but you know we appreciate you know all the compliments all the things that you know people say and do but really it would we just do it because we love it and we're able to make a living at it and that's that's awesome you know it's all awesome
1: and you know one of the things i think that that will really resonate for my listeners and anyone who's read you know my book stadium status is uh you, know, you had mentioned the kevin costner theory if you build they will come um i think just about every excellent creation by great creators has followed that path and two of the stories i've shared are uh know the the creator of one of the greatest possibly the greatest bluegrass guitar in the world, the guy by the name of Dana Bourgeois up here in Lewiston, Maine. Uh in the basement in this tiny little mill. And he just makes the most world class guitars, sourcing wood from like all corners of the planet. And he's on this eternal quest to make a better every day make a better guitar. Uh yeah. Jack Marucci Jack Marucci, if you ever watched a Major League Baseball game, you've seen a Marucci baseball bat being used. That was a guy who uh, was athletic trainer at Louisiana State University and just started out with a lathe and and a piece of wood in his tool shed in his backyard because his kid didn't want to play with an aluminum bat. He wanted to play with the same thing the pros use. So his dad just made him a bat and uh, kept trying to improve on that. Got to the point where college players used it. And then pro players uh, not only use the bat, but instead of, uh, you know, being sponsored and uh, paid to use it, they invested in the company.
0: Wow. Uh, and
1: that tells you, like, you're on to something excellent uh, when, you know, other brands then try and duplicate what you're doing. And, you know, most industries are copycat industries. Um yep. But your ability, your ability to be on the you know, front end, uh, front edge of the leading edge of that curve, uh, is critical, and you guys are doing that. Uh, case in point, the sweatbands, for example, yes. uh, which I just find fascinating. You know, um, let me ask you this: regarding the cowboy hat, uh, it is said that it is the single most recognizable piece of clothing on the planet why is it so special why do you think it stands out as a really a point of envy to
0: other people i i think it's just a um a reminder of of being um let me see how to put this free independent um pioneer uh it, and not someone you know that's just fallen in line. I mean I, I that that's me. I mean you I mean there's not yep. a western movie or anything you can ever watch that you know doesn't show people trying to better themselves, you know, moving west, um whether mm-hmm. they're panning for gold or starting a uh, you know, a plowing a field or what I mean it's all about the American dream, I guess to a certain degree. I mean that and this is just my opinion. I don't know the answer sure. but I, I think that's a big part of it. I think that uh, as a whole, it, it it's iconic in that way. I mean, people view it as uh, the West, independence and freedom. And I mean, th- that's how I see it.
2: Well, I think too that, you know, when I think, especially when I was a kid, you know, because I, I grew up in Georgia, I didn't grow up back West, you know, where Texas and further West, you know, a cowboy was a symbol of like good and everything good. You know, they stepped into the stars and sang these wonderful songs and they rode their special horses. Manners and morals. They had manners and morals and Gene Autry and Roy Rogers. And, you know, who doesn't, who wouldn't gravitate toward that, you know?
1: I think particularly today, you know, you see the the popularity of like Yellowstone and things like that. It's really nostalgia. Like people looking back fondly on, uh, frankly, I'll say it, what was probably a better time. When uh, our country and people had more of a moral compass, you know. um, sure. So well, yeah, that that really makes a ton of sense. Thank you.
2: Well, and then people can handle their business, you know, yep. between each other instead of getting attorneys involved. And oh, that hurt my feelings. And now, you know, or it's gotten ridiculous. You know, back then, and even in Yellowstone. I think people yearn for that like just being able to handle your own business the way you could without getting food or you know like all this sure. I don't know what I'm trying to say but you
1: you know No, I agree. Absolutely. In a better simpler time. Yeah. Where there actually was accountability.
2: <laughs> accountability. Thank you. That's that's where, that's where I was trying to go with that. Yeah. Like there's accountability so, for what you say, what you do and how you act. And, you know, if you didn't, somebody's going to call you out on it. And you may not like that, that, you, that it would get handled, you know.
1: Sure. What's, uh, speaking of handling your business and getting called out, um, you know, what are some of the joys and challenges of being a family business? Because, you know, it's such a unique environment. And there are a lot of family business owners that, that listen to my show. Um, and, like, it is a very, very different thing because it seems like you're always on unless you're very intentional about not always being on you know you uh you bring home to work and you bring work home with you Yes. Yeah. what yeah how do you how do you find that separation or balance and like what are What are the real rewards for you
0: well you you kind of summed it up i mean in, in a way i mean because that's what i was just gonna say i was like i'm, I'm no different than anybody else that owns their own business whether you're a plumber or whatever it doesn't matter i mean your your um your hours are long you work twice as hard as anybody else that punches the clock in my opinion because you're exactly right you bring it home um it's always there uh super tough on that on that level um the we had a retail store in scottsdale and um for a while there and, and after we moved out to texas i said i'd never do that again because the nicest part about what we do now is to be able to stop making hats for five minutes and talk to my son or go you know help jody load some horses or hook up a trailer or whatever and not you know what i mean and so the the freedom to be able to do those things is fantastic and 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 um I love that aspect of it. But yeah, I mean you were hundred percent right before. I mean you the you bring it home, the hours are long, it is what it is. And and you know, why why you keep going, I mean, I I guess I've always been that guy anyway. You know, I mean I've I've never been a clock puncher. I, I think I'd shoot myself, but um I, I like being independent. I like being my own boss. I may not be the best one, but um I don't really care to be told what to do, even though I have thousands of customers every year that tell me what to do to a certain <laughs> degree. Um,
2: sure,
0: But yeah, it's pretty much the same as every other business that's out there, I guess.
2: Yeah. I, um, I, um, I love that. I, I love that. I can go and show my horses at a show and someone can talk to me about a hat or how to get one or how to order one, or they want to, they want to order one. And it's so awesome to be in an industry where I can, I can be showing and still be making money. And yeah,
1: um, to I was going to ask you about people. that. You're kind of, you're kind of the product of the product in a way.
2: Yes. She's the show. And, and <laughs> whether I like it or not.
1: What is, um? what's your best marketing? And the reason I ask you that is, is, I find your brand to be, you know, in your category, so unique compared to so many others. You're very much a boutique brand, very much the premium brand that is hard to find, um, literally. And and if you could tell us a little bit about that, like what's what's your best marketing and sort of some of that maybe secret sauce around being exclusive and frankly
0: kind of hard to find, you know? Well, I will let Jody answer that, because she's the one that handles 90% of that kind of stuff. Um, however, it, my, my personal opinion is, is that you can't, you cannot, and this is, it goes back to what we were talking about before with apprentices, um, you cannot uh, replace years with anything else. I mean, um, the fact yep. that we've been, I've been doing it for 33 years means a lot and um because when i was 19 20 21 22 i mean i thought i was the best hat maker on the planet and of course you look back and you're like wow i wasn't as good as i thought i was right but um it was irrelevant because you're still a young whipper you know (laughs) young kid and you're trying trying hard to be a player and um and honestly it wasn't i mean i've always done well and I'm, i'm not trying to take that away but I would say in the last 15 years of the 33 is where I've really started no, noticing the recognition of the time that I put in. Um mm-hmm. you you're, you know I always strive to build the best product um and and obviously it's gotten better over the years but I just think that there's no substitute for that. I think that the years are the most important thing as far as uh uh, you, I just, you can't take it away. I mean, it, people are going to talk and, and and Jody will get into that probably with you. But, you know, we, we were doing print ad and all that kind of stuff uh, early on when we first got together, a lot of print ad and um, we couldn't track it. We couldn't. It was very hard to track. Very, you know, we didn't know if it was working or not working. And So sure. Jody said, hey, we're going to pull all this money back out of print ads and we're going to, put it into people. And so, you know, we're going to start using, you know, putting on this person or that person and using some endorsers to kind of get the word out. And, and so that's something you can track. And that's something that did work. So I think between that and the product being good and the years of being in business, that's the key. And I don't, that's hard to teach someone that's 20 that wants to do it themselves. You know, you, you want to, you want to say, look, Go put in fifteen or twenty years working for some other companies, and then and you'll get it right, and then you'll you'll have a head start. But like you said earlier, nobody really wants to
1: do that anymore. But and I think it's getting harder and harder because you look at and I'm going to sound like that old get off my lawn guy, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you look at quote kids today and like you know, like it's very easy to hit reset on a video game and just start over. And if things aren't going your way, you just, uh, you know, close out, close out the browser and and hit reset and, and quitting is, you know, it's gotten easier and easier to quit and and just go do something else as opposed to, uh, you know, putting in sweat equity and, and learning long-term, you know, instant gratification has kind of, uh, made made the master craftsman more and more of a unicorn.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, today it's when we've kind of sat back and watched this, it's been interesting in the last probably like five years how everybody thinks they're a hat maker right now. You know, they can yeah. get online and learn off YouTube how to make make a hat that does not make you a good custom hat maker or the, it just makes you a hat maker. Um, yep. it takes the time. You've got to put in the time and get the experience and you can't just, just because you've been doing it for five years does not make you a premium hat maker. You know, it's, it's, but it's hard to tell people that. You yeah. Know? I mean, I mean, I,
0: we were all there
2: once. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's not like
0: I've sure. been in the same boat. Um, the only difference was, is I didn't mind paying my dues with other people, people. and working yeah. and yeah learning
2: and being humble about it. Yeah, I didn't yeah. mind that at all. I mean,
0: I, I knew what it was going to take for me to try to step out on my own. And um, I didn't want to do
2: that. And I mean,
0: I definitely wanted to learn as much as I could. So
2: There's just no sure. fast track um, a craft, I don't think. And if you no. do, then you're going to be you're not you're going to have a subpar product. Um, and it
1: was that old, there's an old expression, you know, the 10, uh, well, the 10,000 hour rule or 10 years it takes 10 years or 10,000 hours to become an expert. And you talk to anyone that's put in 10 years or 10,000 hours and they'll say, yeah, have I gotten better? Yeah, uh, but I'm really just getting started. And to your yeah. point, you know, 33 years in, it wasn't until year 15 or 20 that you really felt like, okay, hey, I'm starting to hit my stride. You know, and right, that's,
2: right. That's a, that's really a, I remember the, the one joke. time we were standing in the booth um, during NFR, one of our bigger shows, and I looked around and 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 felt that oh my gosh, I feel like we we made it. Like it, we were so busy and so covered up, and that was only just a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and like Jada said, we've been successful and have grown this company every year, but you know. It, It's still like, you know, 30 years into it, I was like, or you know, with J-Dub being into it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's finally, (laughs) you know, like you just have that moment of, wow, all this work, which is like, look, you know, like I felt like, yes, we're accomplished. We've done it. We've done something right.
1: So, yeah, I want to go back, Jody, and and, uh, I want to go back and ask you. you know, JW had mentioned, we pulled the print ads and you said, let's invest in people. Uh, what has been your best marketing?
2: A hundred percent are people. Um, okay. I I feel like um, it, it print ad, and, and there is a place for it, and I'm not totally knocking that at all, sure. but as a small business, you know, initially and still to, to an extent, um, I felt like I couldn't see the money. I couldn't see the return on how you know you you, you can spend anywhere from fifteen hundred on up to forty five fifty five hundred on a print ad, depending on what publication that is. And so that's a lot of money, you know, sometimes. And and so I thought, all right, well, instead of spending our money that way, let's stick it, let's put it in the in fur in the bodies and hats and stick them on people that believe in us and support us and 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 that, others are fan, look, you know? yeah, and that others look up to yeah and 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 you know and i can tell you this they don't have to be at the top of their game you know they do not have to be at the top of the game but what gets me when somebody you know when i'm looking at and sponsoring somebody or having somebody endorse us or whatever is i look at how much do they love our product like are they you know are they fans and and how well they hashtag us and how well they they tell everybody they meet how much they love their hat that's what means the most passion sells that's exactly right and i you know we've endorsed some big names that sent us zero business like Mm -hmm. they just they're quiet they don't they just you know, like it's so almost, like they it's think assets. it's an
1: honor for you to attach yourself to their name. Yeah,
2: exactly. And I'm yep. like, nope, that's not how I work. And so I I take their money and get, you know, that have a lot for their hat. And I'm sticking on somebody that is just, you know, love to talk, loves to talk, loves us, loves our hat, doesn't care who who they tell it, they'll tell the, you know, janitor to the president of the United States, they're going to talk about our hat. That's the person I want wearing our hats. That's the money I'm going to spend on them. And I'm they're, grateful. they're grateful.
1: They're grateful for the opportunity and they're proud. Yep.
2: Yes. Yes. Like, you know, and, and, I, and it goes both ways. I want to be able sure. to support them too and celebrate their successes and put them on our page and talk about how well they're doing, you know? So if, when I look at people, you know, instead of putting on print advertising or things like that, when I'm looking at people, that's what I look at, you know, what can we, what can we do together? We're a team. I want you to succeed just as much as you, I think you want me to succeed. And that's exactly. the people I, I choose to stick, you know, hits my
1: wagon too. And I think you guys are again, you know, at the forefront of this move I'll call it a movement because I believe that's what's happening is um you know, you look at just sort of there's been a paradigm shift, you know. Um long-form podcasts like what we're doing right now are outperforming and are more popular than you know mainstream uh like late night shows or you know the short little uh, radio interviews you see on your local country station on a morning show or something because they're real uh yeah. they're largely unedited yep. you know they're authentic and you get to have an in-depth conversation and they're nuanced uh they're yep. not scrubbed within into their life and clipped and edited sound bites. And you know, I think that's what you're seeing with what you're doing. These are authentic, real people um, who reflect, you know, what you, you know, your same values and absolutely. I just think it's, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, this is the page from their playbook that whatever industry you're in, you want to duplicate in your own and put your own unique spin on because uh, that is the direction things are going you know um people crave authenticity across the board with everything you look at like uh auto-tune and music uh video editing photoshop instagram filters everything we're in a world where everything is getting scrubbed within an inch of its life and and no one knows what's real anymore but you know being a real person face to face who walks their talk that's the difference maker
0: like there's no substitute for that i agree well you uh you're talking about that but it's it's uh, it's done the same thing like in the music industry i always kind of think about that but um you know back when i was playing so it was in the 90s right and um they were you know all the labels were trying to sign anybody and everybody and they'd throw something against the wall and see what stuck and if it didn't it was gone and you know what i mean just and now uh, it seems to me like they're they're really reverting back to trying trying to find these triple threat guys, you know, these writers, singers, songwriter musicians yeah. that can that can back it up. You know, they're not just a, a face on a microphone singing a song anymore. I mean, this, these guys are uh, musicians, writers, fantastic. You know, I mean, uh, anyway, that's what I noticed the biggest, uh, especially in Texas, like we because they they support these. Um, country music guys down here, the red dirt that they call it. You, you, know, have
1: they their own, you have your own radio chart. It's the only state in the U.S. that has its own chart, music chart, yeah. you know.
0: Um,
1: and and I I I would, to, to further your point, you know, I think we've also, because of authenticity, I think we've reached the point where you largely, to be successful, don't even necessarily need a label. You don't need that gatekeeper. Like, you know, I interviewed Aaron Watson a couple of years ago and developed a friendship with him and his management. And, you know, he had number one album in country music and he's independent. He is his own record label. He followed that up with having the number two album that actually outsold his number one album uh, just two years later, no label. And it's because, You know, he's blazing his own trail and, you know, creating a great experience for his fans who really want to champion the cause. And like you said, you know, are outgoing and want to recommend the brand. And that's really what you are when you're an entertainer, your brand too, you know, like want to recommend the brand to others. So I just think just the authenticity piece is, uh, you know, is a huge learning takeaway for everyone. It
0: is. No, it it all ties in. I mean, um, take, you know, Aaron Watson, for example. I mean, um, he's independent. He did it on his own using, you know, the Internet and social media and playing and and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, jumped out there and was a hit. Right. But it didn't happen overnight for that guy. I mean, no, he's he's. Right, I mean, he's a singer, songwriter, musician. So here you got a guy that's worked hard and and that's where he's at. Where, like I said, in the 90s, I mean, it was anybody that could carry a tune uh, that had a pretty face. I mean, they just really tried to throw him out there. And um, And that's the funny thing, I was talking with him at a
1: show, JW, you'll love this. And uh, Out of Style was his one song that got pushed to radio. And uh, he was referred to by Bobby Bones and a bunch of other personalities as an up and coming new artist.
2: Oh, my and God. he
1: just laughed. He's like, um, if by up and coming you mean this is my 11th album, yeah, sure, I'm <laughs> up and coming. He's like, "John, I prefer to think of myself slow and steady." <laughs> I'm like, that's more <laughs> like it. But yeah, like, it's just wild, you know? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, but I like and well, I like the way things are headed.
1: Yeah. Um so let me ask you this, you're 30 years in, um, what, uh, this is like my million dollar question. I love to ask people. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you got started in the business? Um, and if you want to punt the ball over to Jody and let her no, answer no, first, no, that's that. okay.
2: That's a hard question.
0: No, that's no, hard no, it would, it would. I, I think I kind of already answered it a little while ago because um, again, When you're younger, you're trying to make the best product you can make, and you're—I'll take here. Here's an example that is away from the hat industry. When I was drawing, okay, and uh, I'm painting and drawing, and I'm doing this art, and and I mean, I think I'm pretty good, right? I'm pretty good artist, right? And so I I went to a show, and um, I set up my wares there, and had some prints and some pictures, and then. You know, a couple boosts down from me is a, a fella that I knew, and, and he also did similar uh, medium and everything. So he's sitting down just a few doors from me, and, and I'm like 21, 22, and he's about 60. And, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I am, because I can draw circles around this guy, right? I mean, my art was just, in my personal opinion, 10 times better, right?
2: Um, in your opinion
0: in my opinion <laughs> wait a minute um and nobody bought my artwork and they were buying his and i was like huh you know i did really stump me for a long time and but it, it goes back to what i said you cannot ever take away the years and um and the experience of those years and i think that's the that if you could go back and tell yourself that 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 would be the deal because when you're twenty one and, and you're trying so hard to make a living doing what you want to do and it's it's rough and it's hard at times or whatever, um you just gotta know that you if you hang in there, it's gonna pay off. But but it like you said, people are so easily to quit, you know, it's so so easy to quit. Um yep. and they get frustrated and, and leave what they are doing. And I always knew in my profession, in the at least in the hat industry that you know I was always coming up with ideas you know this idea that idea but it was the guy that you know I thought well it has to have been around forever how do you make a better mousetrap right but they do it all the time I think somebody just came out with a new mousetrap like a year ago it looks really candy, right so I'm like it, it, just because it's a you have something that works doesn't mean it can't be better so absolutely I uh
1: This might be a little too inside baseball for any of my listeners, but I just want to ask you this because I'm fascinated. You know, it seems like no one's come up with a better mousetrap for the conformator. Isn't that like a thousand year old head, uh, head measuring hat sizing device. And why hasn't that evolved JW?
2: So you're actually speaking
0: to the guy that evolved it? Yeah, I
2: evolved it, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Talk to me.
0: Well, they they um and 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 believe me, I'm not a hat historian, so I can't sit here and tell you. But I mean, I've I've seen I've seen conformers uh that you know have 17 something written on them. I mean, you're right; they've been around for hundreds of years. And then you know, of course, the the thing was is they were invented to um you know fit kings and queens with crowns because those conformer uh, pegs would would expand and contract to the person's head shape and then that would allow them to form that metal so that it was comfortable and blah 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 so that's about the extent of my knowledge on that but but I used them for 28 years I used a conformer and I even then I always thought that it was about a 85 90% accurate device I mean it it was the Conformator has to be calibrated to the vermilion, and most people's are not calibrated correctly and they've been swapped around and everything so anyway, and so when I had the opportunity, um, when they came out with the um, augmented reality software. That's what really sparked me i'm like gosh you know everybody's using this new augmented reality and facial recognition software there's got to be a way that we can utilize this to to come up with a more accurate uh way to measure somebody's head. I mean besides making You're not mold. gonna believe this. That was gonna be my exact next question. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That is, yo, I'm fascinating. I yep. put a million hours of thought into this stuff. And I mean we um we, finally
2: got it done. I
0: mean and we did. You know, I started down the mold so what, thing years ago. What'd you do? Well I mean I it, it, way before the computer augmented reality and stuff. And I was like, okay, if we, if we take this foam and then you put it on your head and then, you know, it's gonna. I mean, I was just trying to figure out any way to make it better. And, and, and this augmented reality just opened up everything. Cause now yep. literally we send a kit in the mail. So, so another thing was, you know, we were only able to go to a show. I mean, we had to get in front of the customer in order to sell yep. the customer app. And now, well, I mean, we do business all over the world. And it's because I can send a kit in the mail um, and they can read through this deal and put this little sock on their head and use the iPhone or you know, an Android to, to get a, a perfect shape on their head. And, and then they send that to me and they don't have to send it back in the mail. I mean, it's just, that's how simple it is. I mean, it's a, yeah. you email it to me or, or text it to me, and I can start building your hat within the five minutes, right? And it's going to be correct. So so we've so. gone down a rabbit hole, and I want to make sure
1: people who are listening aren't thinking, like, this has nothing to do with me or my business. Well, they're talking about, like, head shapes and measuring. And it actually has everything to do with you and your business. If you're paying close attention, because what we're doing is we're talking about, you know, someone who has 30 years in the business, still evolving, still generating new ideas and innovating. And if you're not doing that in your industry or your market, you're on the way to extinction. And uh, uh, this
0: is just so impressive. Yes.
2: Well, thank you. No,
0: my my dad used to always get on us kids if we ever used the words, I know, you know, if he'd tell us something. Yeah. And we you said, oh, I know oh, you're going to get a backhand or something, right? So we just grew up never using that kind of terminology. And when, you know, I'm 51 years old and, and I listen to everybody that comes in. I, I want to know things, you know, and I, I don't have any problem going, I didn't know that or or how does that work, you're right? I mean, because you, again, you have to continue to evolve and and I'm, we have a great product. I'm so happy with what we have going on right now. And maybe next year I'll find something that makes it even better. I don't know. But, but yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think that
1: is, um, like, success leaves clues in every industry. And to your point you just made, the uh, I, I've always found that the top performers, like the 1%, I don't mean financially, I mean, like, the 1% most elite in their industry are the ones paying attention and taking the most notes because they realize number one the margins for success are razor thin number two we're never done learning we can always get better
2: right without fail and not just from a hat point of view but from my horse point of view horse riding point of view and showing I got a notebook that I take around everywhere. And, and I will write in it tidbits of knowledge that I get from other trainers and other riders. I mean, without fail. And so I can go back if I'm having trouble with something in my horsemanship, I can go back and oh, yeah, you know, Ron Rawls said to do this, blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, I, I think if you ever get to a point where you're, where you're not learning. You're exactly what you said. You just become stagnant and you just stay the same.
1: This is a, uh, a great point to reinforce folks. Um, and why I created what I call my idea journal that's available on my website is, you know, it's, it's an intellectual exercise where I write down 10 new ideas, you know, uh, to evolve my business, whether it's marketing sales, a new product, uh, you know, uh, a new book I want to write, whatever it is and new ideas every day. Um, and I don't start my actual work day until I've started making that list and I keep it in my idea journal, uh, and I think everyone some way, shape or form ought to be making that list and ought to be writing down ideas because ideas are currency. And you just saw that with augmented reality in the hat industry ideas are currency. You know when yeah. people can't walk into a hat store because there's a pandemic and things are shut down, the ability to send a kit to a customer all over the world and have them send it back on their phone ideas are currency yeah right absolutely right. Yeah. Yep. so um yeah I think uh, that is a uh a great teaching point that we can wrap up on um, Tell us a little bit about where people uh if they want to get introduced to the Rolls-Royce of custom cowboy hats, uh, where do they go? How do they learn more about you? And where can they get one?
2: Well, Jody, they can go. This
1: is where whatever. you can shamelessly self-promote everything
0: oh, you've got going on. I love being
2: shameless.
0: Jody's shameless.
2: I, <laughs> I love it. Um, no, they can go to the website, uh, www.jwbrookscustomhats.com. We have a Facebook page. Uh, we have an Instagram page. Um, I, I'm trying to TikTok. I'm, I'm struggling with that because I'm. How many hours of the day do we have? <laughs> so. Yeah, um, and
1: you're not you're not a 13 year old kid.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've got a lot going on, so I'm trying the TikTok
0: um, But no, all that information that's on the website or awesome. Facebook, either one.
2: Yeah. And they're always yeah. welcome to call the shop where we've got a couple of gals that love to talk to you. So um they're oh, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And again,
1: JW Brooks JW Brooks Custom Hats dot com. The phone number is eight one seven 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 one seven four four six. And uh they are uh in the country known as Texas folks. <laughs> 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 the greatest country it's in the world.
0: That's right. Thank you very much for having
2: us. Yeah, on. we really, really appreciate hey, my it. My pleasure.
1: Huge you. fan Thank of what you're you. doing. Uh, huge champion for uh, what you do, your mission, and uh, just being the, uh, the front runner in that space, innovating every day is just so impressive and um, just great to get to know you guys. So uh, this has been the Coach Brew Podcast. Uh, again, I want to remind you it's J.W. Brooks and his wife jody and you can go to jwbrookscustomhats.com uh personally i think it'd be irresponsible of you not to go to the website and check it out <laughs> and uh, everybody needs a cowboy hat
2: Amen. i firmly
1: believe that everybody needs one they just don't know it yet right they
0: just don't know. exactly yes awesome Thank well you thanks so guys much. i
1: appreciate you yeah. stick around i'm going to uh stop the recording, but I still want to chat with you for a moment. Okay.
2: Thanks for listening to the coach brew show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google play or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to CoachBrew.com now.